what is fly fishing? You know, um, a hobby sounds too close to sort of knitting. Uh, a sport brings in the whole competition element, which a lot of fly fishermen are like, ugh, gross, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, and you, you try and go like, oh, is it a lifestyle, which just sounds wanky? You know, like you, you're trying to find this, this categorization and about as close as I can get to it is a trick shot. You know, um, when I was in the office at Men's House, we used to have these ridiculous Olympics where it would be like you've got to take a ball and bounce it off that wall, off that guy's head and then into the bin and then you win the game. And that, in a way, is fly fishing for me because sometimes you can see a midget trout um, kind of rising in a very thin seam and you know you've got to get that fly under a branch into a specific little braid and only then will that fish maybe rise to it and when you pull it off it's it's glory personified like for yourself it doesn't even matter if you don't have anyone with you to see it this is Tudor Caradoc Davies editor of the Mission Fly Fishing magazine a publication dedicated to the art culture and spiritual awareness that fly fishing brings so I'm going to go through the mag really quickly. So yeah, we went completely different with Steak Fintan. No one's ever done a Steaky story like this before. Um, Bonita of the Rocks, Christmas Island. In today's episode, Tudor talks to us about nearly getting arrested while fishing, how fly fishing cultivates environmental awareness, and how ignorance can at times be bliss. I'm your host, Gordon van der Spey. Don't panic, this is The Feather Mechanic. How did the mission come about? Where, where was the seed planted and, and where did that germinate? If you, it kind of goes back to Vice Squad. So it was with the Cape Piscatorial Society, the club down here. Um, their events at the time were quite sort of slow and sleepy if, if they happened at all. And you'd have sort of maybe seven or eight people attending the, the clubhouse for an event. And um, after I, it was actually after a breakup with, with my ex, I, I kind of fell back in love with fly fishing. I'd been distracted in my 20s and in my late 20s and early 30s after this breakup, I, I really dove deep into fly fishing again. So I started hosting evenings, fly tying evenings, uh, and I called them the, the Vice Squad um, in my apartment in, in town. And I just randomly, like, you know, I think Instagram, yeah, Instagram was obviously around then, but I was just sort of reaching out to people that I saw doing interesting things, like Conrad Boetis, Andre van Veek, um, Platon, Tricotius, all, all those kind of people, yourself included, and I'd invite them to come and tie flies and show people what they were doing. And it was raucous. It was like, you know, loud music in the background and, and uh, pizza deliveries coming in and beer flowing freely. And eventually it grew too big in my to kind of keep it going in my apartment and to, to not live like a caveman. So I, uh, by that stage, I'd actually joined the CPS committee and I said to them, why don't we just move this format into the club? And it took off um, there. We had, I think, something like 65 people in the first event there and they'd never seen those kinds of numbers before and it became a CPS thing. But in that process... I got to know some of these guys really well. And uh, Conrad in particular, I'd be chatting to him and just talking about what you can do with fly fishing. And up until that point, I'd never written about fly fishing um, just because I felt totally uninspired by what was out there, you know, where I could write about it. So, So what it was, 
you know, I had access to a lot of mainstream publications. I could write about fly fishing for them, but I knew it would only be to a sort of inch of depth. Um, but I also didn't want to write for the existing publications because of their approach, which was very hard to and quite staid and conservative. I wanted to, it to be authentic and kind of like the people we were having at these vice squads. People, it, it, I wanted it to sound like them. I wanted it to have the same attitude that they had. I wanted it to be real and relatable. So chatting to Conrad about that, and I mean, you know, he's a maverick um, artist with his own uh, art and also with his bit of comics um, collaboration with Anton Kaname over the years. They've always kind of done things their own way. So we were chatting and then Andre van Veek said, you need to talk to a designer called Brendan Body, who's moved down from Joburg. And he um, was one of the guys behind Sessions Skateboarding Magazine, which he ran for a while. And also there's a hipster publication called The Lake, which he, he'd also been involved in. So I met up with Brendan for a coffee, which turned into a glass of wine, which turned into two bottles of wine. And uh, then I was like, OK, well, Having already had this chat with Conrad, Brendan, Yumi and Conrad need to chat. We got talking and then it just became this this whirlwind. I think, you know, we decided to do it in the August of 2016. Was it 2016 or 2015? Anyhow, uh, yeah, 2016. And by November, we had a magazine designed and, and ready to go. And we did everything the wrong way around. You know, three creatives, an artist, a designer and a writer slash editor with no business skills. Sorry, that deep sigh is my dog. He's cool. bored of hearing the story again. No, that's fine. Um, and... So we created this product. We went on a road show. You know, we went to see uh, John Giles at Explorer. Um, we went to see uh, Tourette or Af African Waters, but it was Tourette back then um, in Peter Maritzburg, Frontier Fly Fishing, uh, Tom Lewin and Dean Riffagan, um, Jonathan Bolton at Mavangana, Gerard uh, Lopesha, you name it. We went across the board and had all these meetings with people and we kind of came with a just a computer layout and just showing what we could do and also showing our credentials that we weren't there to stuff around you know I have a long magazine history so does Brendan in a kind of mine is more mainstream magazines his are more kind of um, counterculture magazines if you like and then you've got Conrad who's the sort of mad artistic scientist uh, bringing his 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 art into play and it was really interesting because we weren't sure what the reaction would be, um, but immediately, you know, brands like um, Mavangana, Frontier, Alphonse, Explorer, they, they all jumped on board. Um, and I think it was just because, like, like what we wanted was something different. I think the market wanted something different, not just advertisers, obviously, which you need in order to exist, but the readership wanted something different. And as you say, we came out of nowhere. There was no preamble no build-up we just sort of dropped this magazine and dropped it into into the South African scene and the response was overwhelming and then we had to do all this stuff of like oh shit we actually need a business here. Oh, yeah we should probably have a bank account we should probably have an agreement we should probably oh yeah with PTY limited so I think the fact that we did everything asked about face actually is why we exist because if you taken three creatives and got them bogged down in the admin and the kind of procedural stuff of setting up a business the right way 
I think we would have lost our momentum. So what I've always liked about the magazine is, is that it, it's about the culture of fly fishing, not just about fishing. Mm. You know, like, I mean, you've got, you've got that whole section on, on, on beats, on albums you listen to when you go fishing. You've got section, even sections on other books you, you, yeah. you maybe read on fishing trips. Yeah. Or sections on, I mean, I'm surprised I haven't seen a wimpy ad. In your in your magazine yet? Because let's face it, Wimpy is integral to any fishing trip. I wrote there's an Ed's letter about that. Really? Yeah, specifically about Wimpy coffee, but more about how, the fear of how it'll scald your crotch, keeps you awake at 4 a.m. in the morning. It's not so much the taste; it's just like shit. This stuff <laughs> is so hot; it comes out of a volcano, and if you if you drowse if you get drowsy while driving it's literally going to take your balls off. So <laughs> if, you, if you want, I can find it and we can, ha we can have it as a poetry reading. You know? <laughs> We're not against technical stuff, the how-to element, but I'm never going to dedicate pages in the magazine to that um, because for me, the, the, the how-to thing, um, there are magazines that do that, and, but it's also something that we've got countless... Um, web pages where we can do that it's good for websites it's good for youtube uh, videos etc but for a magazine i'm not going to do 12 pages on how to tie a fly or uh, 16 pages on how to cast or something like that it's the wrong space what i think the magazine well, what we want to do with it is in, uh, instead of how to we want to inspire why you should be out there you know the satisfaction you get from fishing i don't know if you've seen recently there's so many um projects being launched uh, around the world, not just for soldiers who have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, taking them fishing, but also people suffering from depression and anxiety and doctors are prescribing fishing um, or fly fishing as a, as a way to just connect with nature. It's still, you're doing something, you know, like I always feel a bit odd if, it, if I'm just going on a hike. Um, it's fine. I, I like hiking, but like with a fly rod in hand there, I've got a, a little puzzle to try and figure out. Half the time I'm failing, that's all right. But, and, and that's a huge part of what we try and do with the mission is celebrate the failure in fly fishing because let's be honest, we all suck. Well, we all sucked past tense. <laughs> you, you show me the guy who picked up a fly rod and nailed it from the beginning and every single trip he nailed it and I'll show you a liar. I think the important thing is to not let it become like normal work for you. It, it's what it, it's how you see it. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge element of play, you know. Um, you'll see with this the cover of this next issue. Um, I'll show it to you once once we go off here, so you can see that. Uh, or actually, when is this coming out? I don't actually know. But not in the next week, right? No. Okay. No, so so we've got we went to Stokefontein Dam, and I I. I I love the the range of people in fly fishing from those who take it, you know, weekend warriors don't take it too seriously to the guys who like full on go camo and, you know, take nerd out on this stuff. And uh, so I borrowed a ghillie suit from my nephew who's into airsoft, you know, that kind of military uh, paintball kind of game. And... Um, I got Tim Babich to get into this ghillie suit. Uh, you know what a ghillie suit is? It's a sniper suit. So it's like you basically look like a bush. Um, and I got Tim to stand on Tim's Rock. At, at, it's literally called Tim's Rock at, at Stokefontein. 
and he hooked into a fish and uh, the, the clouds opened at exactly the right moment. So we've got that beautiful blue sky and the kind of backdrop of the, the mountains at Sturkey's and Tim's hooked into a fish in a thing. And it, I mean, the idea is to kind of just play with the idea of people taking camo to the next level. But the, the play element is so important to us with the mission. I mean, you would have seen the cover with Andre van Veek on a, on a bed of bucktail, naked on a bed, bed of bucktail. Uh, you know, we just had a, an opportunity there where a big order came through for a group of us, uh, Bucktail from the USA in various different colors. And we were in Conrad's studio, kind of dividing them up. And I said, guys, we've got an opportunity here to recreate this, that scene from American Beauty. Because, sure, we could have done a, a close-up of a beautifully tied Bucktail fly. But the response we got from that was insane. And, you know, like brands in the U.S. that had kind of been a bit quiet before then are suddenly like, oh, hey, can we can we can we chat? Can, you know, can we do some things with you? And it's kind of just like waving a flag as well to sort of say we do things a bit differently in South Africa or Africa <laughs> and you should chat to us. You know, we've 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 got a contribution to make to the scene. So you're probably aware um as well as most people, how publishing over the last few years, specifically magazines, I mean, if you look at the number of magazines on the shelves, they're dropping a lot. Um, and yeah, people read less, I'd say. And I think there was probably a glut in the 90s and noughties of just too many magazines um, that weren't really setting themselves apart in any way. So when we put this mag out, we we used the same model as the lake uh, that Brendan had worked on and we made it free, um, which a lot of people were like, this is insanity. How the hell do you think that's going to work? You know, you're on a hiding to nothing. And we just took a view that with publishing being what it is, people didn't seem to value a 40 Rand magazine that did the same stuff. So why not make it free? Um, and you know, cover our bills through advertising. And it was a gamble because you know the pressure was on us then to create something so good that advertisers wanted to be a part of it, wanted to come along for the journey. You know, you build a stage, and then you create the bands. And look, five and a half years and counting, and it's still going strong and getting stronger by the day. And I think that shows that. This weird business model put together by three <laughs> semi That's my dog going a woo in the background. He's like, yeah, rock on, man. And he's Stay. on time. Like, no, no, no. Plan. He's like, like yeah, he's making little devil signs with his paws. I read an article that you wrote on Gabon. And you build us up to this moment where you're going to hook this tarpon. And at the end of the article, you hook the thing. And you have him on for two seconds and boom, he pops you and it's done. Mm. And you've spent all this time getting there and it's like you had your chance at Heidi Klum and you blew it. Yeah. But that is what happens. It is. And I mean, you know, that that tarpon uh, still gives me sleepless nights. And it, it kind of means I'll be going back to Gabon to try and catch a tarpon on foot for the rest of my life until I've done it. And I'll probably continue after that just because that one test was so strong. And I think... You know, that cliche of hero X goes to destination Y and catches fish Z in, in fly fishing magazines or fishing magazines in general. It's so done. 
Um, it's just like, you know, you can kind of feel it in the first couple of paragraphs when you start reading those stories. You're just like, oh, God, really? It's, it's, it's just this autofellatio fishing story. And like, who wants more of that? I don't know about you, but the fish I remember are not necessarily those fat ones with bellies mm. dripping. No. I mean, t tell us a bit about that. What was the first fish you ever caught on a fly rod? It was actually on the Hulslert. Um, my dad took me there when I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 or something like that. And I was a proper ginger kid. So impatient, pretty angry, frustrated with the world at the best of times. And I remember having a kind of big tangle because I didn't really know how to cast properly at that stage. And, you know, the whole slit's nicely bushed in. And so I was busy trying to un undo a knot in my tippet and my um, it, my fly must have just been drifting down a little bit and a, a fish hooked itself. So that was that was my first win in fly fishing. Uh, but I took it. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm, I'm sold. You know, I like this thing. Um, so that's always stuck with me as a memory. But I, kn I know what you're talking about. Um, there's... I suppose it's almost the sort of pornification of imagery in, in fly fishing. And I'm not talking about the, the fingernails and anything. I'm talking about men, women, you name it. This whole like front and center, look at this glorious fish I'm holding, look at this rod between my legs. It's a kind of, it's just, it's, it's cliche. It's almost like there is nothing else other than the trophy shot. Um, it's Hollywood. Exactly. It's fly fishing it's, and Hollywood it, meat. It, yeah, Boom. it's very much like Rambo with his two guns in his hands, you know, shooting in, into the air, that kind of element. So, yeah, that doesn't really resonate with us. We obviously still feature some amazing fish in the magazine. That's part of the course. Um, but we, we try with every issue to just sort of lessen how many trophy shots pop up because it, it it's just too same same we don't want to fall into that trap um and in terms of the most memorable fish yeah f for me you know fly fishing i was i was talking about this and um driving out to a river on saturday with pierre hubert and we were trying to sort of that it's that that age-old game of what is fly fishing you know um a hobby sounds too close to sort of knitting uh, a sport brings in the whole competition element which a lot of fly fishermen are like Ugh, gross you know i don't want to do that um and you you try and go like oh is it a lifestyle which just sounds wanky you know like you, you're trying to find this this categorization and about as close as i can get to it is a trick shot you know um when i was in the office at men's health we used to have these ridiculous olympics where it would be like you've got to take a ball and bounce it off that wall off that guy's head and then into the bin and then you win the game and that, in a way, is fly fishing for me because sometimes you can see a midget trout um, kind of rising in a very thin seam. And you know you've got to get that fly under a branch into a specific little braid and only then will that fish maybe rise to it. And when you pull it off, it's, it's glory personified like for yourself. It doesn't even matter if you don't have anyone with you to see it. But that is the, the kind of joy. Um, it's almost like, like that big tarpon in Gabon. It was a cast at the absolute extent of uh, my 12 weight. And I, had, I knew where the fish were. I had two strips in the zone and I, and I got on. But it was only when everything came together in that moment. Obviously, it would have been amazing to catch a fish that big. 
um, or any any topping for that matter. But it was that kind of trick trick shot element, which I think is when the stars align. It's even when you watch group sports, um, you know, like r rugby or something, where where something clicks and everybody works together to create something beautiful on the on the field. It's just on an individual level, you know. Your first cover was Conrad in a suit, looking yeah. almost like a semi hobo. Or not a hobo, no, like a more like a, a taxi tart, like kind of you know, like a, a cruising oak. He's maybe going to sell you a watch or something. You guys almost got arrested for that cover. Yeah, well, look, technically the the Castle of Good Hope is a national key point, and we know how South Africa is with our national key points. You can uh, fly into Vatukloof if you're the Guptas, but you can't take a few photos at the castle if you're the mission. Um, but what happened was we teamed up with the fly uh, brew guys, Matt Gourlay and Nick van Rensburg, and Oliver Kruger was the photographer. And we knew there were big carp in the Castle of Good Hope, um, which is obviously a Dutch East India castle that's been there since, what's it, 17 footsack or 16 footsack. Um, and there was some construction going on. So the, the fences were all down and, you know, you could, anyone could walk right up there and have a look. So we did, and Conrad was wearing this kind of st suit, and the whole idea was to not have Table Mountain in the background because it's very easy to overly focus on where you're from when you run a magazine. So we wanted a, a cityscape, so it looked like it could kind of be anywhere. Um, and while we were setting up, uh, so Conrad had tied specifically for this shoot, he tied a stompy fly um, to look like a, a cigarette butt out of deer hair. And we were still kind of, you know, getting all our equipment ready to take the shot. And he just flicked his fly in, into the into the moat. And this kind of albino carp that looked like it had been around since Jan van Rubik's day, rose, slurped it, and he was in uh, on his on his three ways. And then we've got like this ridiculous sequence of, of photos where Bod, Brendan Boddy, our art director, is leaning in with one of those Explorer floating nets kind of um, attached to a broom handle because the, the drop down into the moat was huge and Bod is about seven foot tall anyway and we hold, I'm holding on to his feet as he's dropping down to try and net this fish because we knew if we got this, this would be the most insane cover. And it all happened in the space of about, I don't know, three minutes uh, and we had the fish and then suddenly soldiers were alerted to the fact that we were at this national key point harassing the nuclear carp. And, um, and and it, actually, at the same time, people were like leaning over the fence, like asking for the carp, you know, like if we were going to throw it back, if they could have it. Um, so it was chaos. Um, and we, yeah, we, we kind of got chased off after that, but we managed to get the shot. <laughs> okay, tell me, your favorite fishing destination? Oh, God. It's like, you know, what's your favorite child? What's your well, favorite? I can tell you. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I loved the Bokong and the Makongo camp with African waters, but we did the the donkey trek up to Mordor, um, which is you know like right up at the top of the the Bokong, and uh, I caught a fantastic brown trout up there through zero skill on my part, just sort of lucked into it and obviously the yellows and everything else. And it was just a really special experience. I loved that. Um, Gabon was also just so special. It's so remote um, where you fish around there. And yeah, just uh, it's not for everyone. It's hard fishing. You come back from a week of that and you're pretty broken. But I really thought that was uh, 
yeah, something that is worth experiencing. Uh, and then Jurassic was... Uh, some people say it's like shooting fish in a barrel because the fishing's quite easy and everyone breaks their records, you know, or if you keep records, whatever. Like, you know, you will catch the biggest trout of your life there. Um, I really loved the river itself, the Barrancosa River. And after a couple of days of gorging myself on giant fish, we, we went kind of way upstream where the fish are the same size as the ones you get in the Cape streams here. But in amongst them, every now and then is one big one. So it, it, it gives you that perspective again of like how insane that place is. Because if you're just catching, you know, giant trout all the time, you start to become quite blasé about it after a couple of days. You just you know, have no perspective. Um, so yeah, those are probably the, the top ones. And then my local streams in the Cape here, I, you know, a, a day out um, hiking up to Yellen's Part 4 and 5 uh, for me is incredibly special. And I'll, I'll do that for as long as my knees hold out. Do you think you're a better person because you fly fish? Oh, God. <laughs> Can you imagine saying that at a braai? No, but I, like, I, like, I'm, I'm just like, you know, like, do, do you think you're a better person? Do, do, does, it, does fly fishing contribute to you being a nicer guy? Yeah, my wife, my wife will tell you that. Like, if I go fly fishing, I come back in a much better mood. Um, and look, uh, if we can take all the layers of, you know, because fly fishing or fly fishermen are often seen as snooty, up our own asses, we think we're superior and all that stuff. And that's probably because we've earned that reputation through saying things like fly fishing makes us better people, Gordon. But I do think... The fact that we, and Jeremy Shelton touched on this, the fact that we're up in the headwaters of rivers or in estuaries, we see a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't see. Um, as fishing goes, we're the most, or one of the most uh, environmentally friendly forms of fishing. Like, to me, there's a deep primal thing in most of us that we we want to fish or that there's some kind of we don't need to do it anymore supermarkets are available you can get your food all of that but we still need to scratch an itch you know and if you're not into hunting which is not particularly my thing you've got fishing and if you don't want to constantly kill every fish that you catch fly fishing is a really good way in terms of catch and release to do that so there's the environmentally friendly side of low impact through it but also the, the consciousness of being out there, seeing the state of the streams, you know, if there's pollution or if the flow is low in terms of drought or whatever it is, you care more about nature because you spend more time in it. You know, if you spend more time on a couch, you do not care as much about nature. So yes, fly fishing does make me a better person. If there's anything you could change in fly fishing, what would it be? I think one of the things that I grapple with both as the editor of the mission and as a general fly fisherman, is that the mindset of abundance versus scarcity. So, you know, we go out of our way when people bring us a story and they, they want to be cagey about the location. We're cool with that. We don't mind not talking about where it is because the story is more important than the specifics. 
but we still get uh, the odd bit of flack from people who are like, oh, you can never do a story on Clan William Yellowfish or Natal Scalies because the hordes will descend and, you know, like it'll be blown out and destroyed. And the truth is most places aren't secret. Like it's kind of, you know, you Google a few things and you can figure it out. Um, and in the broader sense of... Uh, pressure on on fishing destinations uh climate change just general environmental issues i think we need to actually grow the scene have more people in fly fishing because the more people that care about these places the easier it is to protect them you can try and keep places secret that's fine but you know if someone upstream is poisoning your river well, what you see is your river and that poison comes into your section you're still fucked so rather make the circle bigger, which I know is one of your favorite lines. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was great. You've always inspired me. You've always been a very positive force in my life. And thank you for that. <laughs>